Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Those of you wondering, Pastor Benji is still around, and if you have any questions about Grace Seminary, you can ask him or Pastor Greg. They'll be out in the hallways. I'm James, the youth pastor here. Uh, that's not my name, actually. That's my name and my title, but uh, you can call me that if you want to. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you came and paid the price for us at the cross, and we are so thankful that you are coming again to get us. In between, Lord, as we try to honor you, help us to do so with our mouth, something that so often seems to get in the way. Amen. It was around May, and I took, I finally realized, actually, that my 13-year-old son was 13. Those of you who've been around long enough to know me, uh, he was born the week we got the job here, and it's crazy that he is 14 now. Uh, it's been that long. I'm still in my 20s. Uh, I'm talking about my mouth, but not lying, so... Uh, it's okay. Uh, I realized he was 13 and my wife had gone to see The Avengers without me. Those of you who are geeky enough to know this, it came out this week on DVD. Uh, and there are a couple great things about The Avengers. One of them, and I had heard about this already, but it is so neat when something in Hollywood goes right. And if you haven't seen it, this is a total spoiler, but you should have seen it already. Uh, there are two great statements about God. Think about that for a minute. Hollywood got two statements about God right, which is cool in its own. But one of them is by Captain America in it. Uh, and as two false gods go by on the screen, uh, Thor and Loki, they're Norse, uh, from Norse mythology, uh, somebody says something to him about, careful, you don't want to mess with them, they're like gods. And his response is a wonderful one. Those of you who've seen the movie uh, know this, but it's, uh, here's a quote from Captain America. I'm the only pastor, actually I'm not, I know Benji and Greg, and they both could quote this too. Uh, There's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> Huge comic relief at the time, but also just when was the last time in a blockbuster, not a Christian movie, but a non-Christian movie, you heard that statement? There's one God. It just blew everybody away in the movie theaters uh, when they were crazy enough or bold enough to state that. The other great one, this is also a, a comic relief moment, but uh, Loki is the bad guy. Again, sorry if you haven't seen it, but it's been out for a while, so it's your fault, not mine. Um, as Hulk is beating up Loki... Uh, Loki is claiming to be a god and that he should be treated that way and whole, the whole kind of toss up on the side afterwards just goes puny god. It's, it's a great, great thing. If your god can get beat up by the Hulk, then he is not a god. Unless, of course, like the cross, you're talking about a moment where he's allowing that for a time. Two great statements. One other thing uh, that was great about the Avengers, you can see the picture on the screen, since the Bill Bixby days, Bixby days in the 1970s with the TV show, nobody had really captured the Hulk well. Uh, you could argue whether or not the 70s ca captured the Hulk well too. But in the movies, they hadn't really got it. But here they did. The only thing they got wrong, the only problem is the Hulk is passed off really other than She-Hulk and it's comic books. So they have like Red Hulk and everybody else, I'm sure. But uh, the only thing that 
that the world has gotten wrong about Hulk is there isn't one Hulk. There are actually seven billion of us running around. Because when it comes down to it, just about all of us have an anger problem. And while the CGI effects may not have been able to capture Hulk, we've been doing a pretty horribly good job at living out the Hulk on a day-to-day life, especially with our mouth. We are all too familiar with him, and perhaps that's why those of us who are fans haven't ever really been all that happy with him at times. We're just too close to the subject. James 1.19 actually talks about a problem that the Hulk has, but also problems that we have, and we live out Every day of our lives, really. James 1.19, one verse. That's really all we're looking at. I'm going to throw in a couple Proverbs that, that kind of say much to the very same thing. Uh, but James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I could stop here. You could go home all week, and you'd be really happy you got out that quick, perhaps. But you could think about that and struggle with that. Uh, the, the word on there, gone goose moan on your notes, I, I won't really explain it later, but I, I will talk about it at the benediction if I remember. But that was a theme from camp. You might recognize it from Pastor Benji at, at one point. It's a tough theme. How do you talk about your mouth without being very convicted? We could think about these words. You can memorize it in two minutes, and you'll struggle with it all week because they're tough, but let's walk through that a little bit. Again, picking up, I'll leave out the my dear brother's part, but everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We don't like to listen. We don't do it very well. There's a Klondike commercial out right now. I'm sure you'll, if you're watching football, you'll see it. It's a great football commercial, even though it has nothing to do with it. It has to do with men, and, and it's one of those, what would you do to get a Klondike? Would you listen to your wife for five seconds? And they presented at this difficult task. Ladies, you should all be offended by Klondike. They presented as a difficult task. Guys, if you can't listen to your wife, if you don't want to listen to your wife for five seconds, something's wrong. Ladies, if the football game's going on, know when it's a commercial. But we married them for a reason. It wasn't, you know, to listen only for four seconds. And yet, that really sums up not just men. But women, too, because women, you may be better at listening, but sometimes it's because you just like to talk more. I don't mean to be offensive, but we do. We like our mouths. We don't like our ears so much, at least in how we use them. We don't like to listen, and that creates so many problems in our relationships. So many problems with the people in the pew in front of you or behind you or on the opposite side of the room because you can't even sit that close to them. You might misuse your mouth. And that's in the church family. It's even harder at work or driving around the roundabout when that person stops in the middle for no apparent reason. We struggle with our mouth. How many times have you been at a restaurant, whether it's Olive Garden or Applebee's or McDonald's, whatever you consider a romantic date with your spouse or you're hanging out with your family, And you've heard somebody else behind you that forgot they're in a restaurant, they're talking too loud while they're on their date or with their friends. And at some point you realize they're not listening to each other. They're talking, they're going back and forth like a tennis match, but neither one is actually using their ears. 
Yes, they're communicating, but not effectively because they aren't paying attention. Or how many times have you been in a heated discussion with somebody and you've thought to yourself, they're not listening to me? Yes, they're looking at me. Yeah, they seem to be paying attention. Of course, if you have a teenager and their earbuds are in, you probably aren't convinced they're paying attention. But we're in this moment, and yet they're thinking about how they're going to respond, not listening to what I'm saying. Or how many times have you even been bold enough just to point that out and say, you're not listening? I know we're talking, but you've stopped paying attention to me. It's amazing how much conflict can get resolved when we start or perhaps restart with listening. I'm a parent of three kids. Sometimes that goes well. Other times we struggle. And I've noticed, I I fail at it all the time, but I notice when I stop getting past perhaps how they're inappropriately responding and I stop and I listen to them, how many better solutions I have for whatever problem they're facing. When I start hearing what they're trying to say, even if they're saying it poorly or in the wrong way or with the wrong tone, when I get past myself and I stop to listen, James 1.19, when I'm quick to listen, it's amazing how much I'll hear a different problem than I was hearing before. When I just wanted to come in as dad and as authority and in the fight because I'm tired of how many ways they've creatively discovered to fight over cereal or the TV remote or a trampoline or the dogs. I don't understand some of the fights. But when I listen, I'll hear things like, it's not fair. Parents are like, well, yeah, I hear that all the time. Yes, but when I listen, I'll hear why they don't think it's fair. Kids, by the way, it, it probably is fair. You might be struggling to see the other side of the point. But when I stop and I listen to my daughter or my sons, and I get past the it's not fair, which I hate as a phrase, and I get to the why they don't think it's fair, I'll hear things that I wasn't listening to before. And it's incredible how, if I let go for a second, something my dad and my mom did with me all the time, how their behavior is inappropriate at the moment, and I get to the heart of their issue, I'll be able to solve both and say, well, let me tell you why it's fair. And now we can address the fact that you screamed at somebody across, you know, (laughs) two inches. Not a good screaming moment. Somebody's across the street, you can scream at them to get out of the way of the car. When you're two inches away, you don't really ever need to scream. Just kind of a proximity thing. It's amazing how when I listen, it happens. It's interesting, though, my son, who I mentioned before, and I owe him food anytime I, I use him as an illustration, uh, he and I kind of have that understanding. But um, So if he's in the room, I don't know. If, yeah, he is. He'll, he'll hear that. My wife just heard it too. But he cracks me up with his responses when I finally hear him indicate that he is listening. He's got some funny ones like touche. <laughs> That's when, when he hears it and he doesn't really like it, but he knows he's, he's lost the discussion. Uh, he knows that his point wasn't right. He'll just say, oh, touche. Or, well played. That's my other favorite. Well played, Dad. <laughs> it's like, okay, I wasn't, wasn't trying to win an argument, but okay, good. But there's also two other ones that I'll use, and he'll say, you make a good point, or my favorite, very technical speak, uh, at least the way it comes across. I picture him in a lab coat, but he says, that's a valid point. 
It's wonderful when a 13-year-old says, that's a valid point. But it also indicates, oh, he stopped and he listened to me. He heard what I was saying when he, when he says, that's not fair. And I'll explain to him, well, you may have missed something. Or remember this, and he'll say, oh, yeah, I, I understand now. When we're quick to listen, so many problems get solved. It's incredible. As we pay attention, it's wonderful when we remember to listen. And by listen, guys, especially we struggle with this, that means you not only hear, but you actually understand. You actually work through what's being said and probably confirm that you understood somehow what the other person was trying to say. A related proverb. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction. In the end, and in the end, you will be wise. Some great Proverbs on the tongue or the mouth, and that's why I'm using them if you're wondering why we're going to bounce back and forth between Proverbs and James. Listen to advice. I mean, the person in front of you may be totally wrong, but maybe you'll hear why they're offended. And you can correct where they're wrong and how you're right. Careful how you do that. But you can have a relationship win when you hear their concerns and you're able to address that. Often it's not that we have a problem being pointed out that we're wrong. We get that and we don't like it, but we get that. The real issue often, marriages, parents, parenting, churches, whatever, so we want to know that we're cared about, especially when we're wrong. We don't know that they're not going to toss us aside like others have or call us a name because they disagree with us. Yes, we all want to be right, but none of us, I don't think, have the false assumption that we are always right. Some of us have big enough egos to think we're mostly right, but very few of us Take it to the extreme of, I have never been wrong verbally or in written form. So really, often, if we're corrected, our biggest concern isn't the being corrected part. It's how we're corrected, that we're cared for, that we're loved. And it starts with being quick to listen. The Hulk takes it the opposite way. Quick to anger, doesn't listen at all. And there again, that's where there are 7 billion Hulks running around the planet. We are so quick to get angry and skip any listening. We maybe check it off in a box, but that is it. Back to James 119. Again, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to speak. So often we just respond. We like the thoughts we thought. That's why we had them. And we're so convinced the entire world needs to hear it. Whether it be tweeted, Facebooked, journaled, blogged, put into a novel, called into a talk show. Long-time listener, first-time responder, I hate everything. How many times have you heard that in some way, shape, or form? We know we're right. And the problem with that, especially in face-to-face conversation, is when we're Figuring out how to state that we're right, we have stopped listening to whoever's talking to us. 
or face-to-face, whether it's a kid, a student, a coworker, a loved one, hopefully your kids are loved ones, actually, <laughs> just thought that through, but a loved one that's talking to you and telling you, I, I've felt this way or this happened or whatever, the minute we go to response mode, we've stopped actively paying attention. We're still listening, we can do, uh-huh, yeah, sure, okay. Some of our kids and wives have figured out that's a good time to ask for ludicrous things that they know would never get okayed any other way. But you can, you can say it then as long as dad's paying attention to the football game later this afternoon. And you can get hundreds of dollars just by asking at the right time when he goes into passive listening. Paying attention enough to respond and act like you're listening without listening. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And that slow to speak is, okay, wait, before I formulate my response to prove how stupid you are, I'm sorry, to prove how wrong you are, that's often what we're thinking, by the way, to prove that I'm right and you're wrong, I will listen to you completely. I'm slow to speak. We have to be first. We have to be proven right. So much has to come out of our mouth because our brain is the only one that God put on the planet that works correctly all the time. And we wouldn't be bold enough to state that usually, but that's our default assumption. And it isn't just a teen problem, by the way. They have it, but it's not just a teen problem. The other thing is, when we're so quick to speak, we're also so quick to interrupt. Not only am I thinking about what I'm going to say, but I want to end what you're saying so I can get this out there because it's so profound. We're quick to interrupt, every one of us, including those of you who like to point out others who interrupt. You interrupt too. You may just be worse at this social dialogue game. Sometimes you get interrupted more than anybody else, middle children. I know life's been awful for you. It's been hard being a middle child. Everybody interrupts you. Nobody listens to you. I have a middle child. And to be honest, sadly, sometimes that is true. But other times you're just looking for it, and you're just as bad about interrupting too. But we're quick to speak, and we're quick to, because of that, interrupt. My words need to be heard. My words are more important than yours. And so yours need to end, and I will do so. It's funny, in our college group, uh, we have an incredible guy. I won't tell you his name. Everybody in the college group immediately knows who he is. They probably even know who I'm going to talk about, though. But um, he has great responses, well thought out. He's, he's dealt with, uh, thought through a lot of these things often all the time. And he's that kid in Sunday school that always has his hand up first. And because of that, he knows, it, and it's not that his responses are poor, but he knows that sometimes some of the more timid speakers in the group, those who are a little more shy, won't get a word in because he's already said it. And so he's taken to putting his hand over his mouth. And a lot of times, seriously, it's a group of like 10. He'll be like this. So, and, and it's his sign to himself, okay, wait, slow to speak, and to everybody else. I'm giving you a chance. Jump in now. And it's the funniest but greatest amazing college thing. It could only happen in college, although it shouldn't. If that's what it takes at home, go for it. If that's what it takes in your small group at Grace, you can do that. At work, probably not the best idea. If you're talking to your boss and you're like, I don't think it's going to go well. If you're talking to a customer, it definitely won't go well. So be wise in the setting. But if that's what it takes to get a rain on your mouth, put your hand over it. 
yeah, it's embarrassing, but in the right context, family, small group, people who love you, who cares? Just remind yourself, I need to wait, I need to think, I need to process and listen. And if that's what you need, great. That said, nobody gets to appoint themselves as the talking police and put their hand over somebody else's mouth. That won't go well ever. If it's a young person, they'll just lick your finger. <laughs> if it's an older person, I don't mean older, older, but I just mean somebody who's not young, they might punch you. So don't do that. It's bad. Everybody will be offended. Well, again, little kids, not so much. They just like licking your hand. It's gross, but they won't get offended. They'll get past it really quickly. Teens, they'll get offended. You're not the police of anybody else but yourself. This, like many other passages in Scripture, quick to listen, slow to speak. This is not a verse for you parents. I realize there's a little bit of this you do need to do as you teach your kids. But this isn't a verse that you should hand to your spouse later today and say, you need to pay attention to this one. This definitely isn't a verse to take into the workplace the next day, hand it to everybody on laminated cards and say, before any of you talk to me, memorize this. It won't work that way. It's a verse for me. It's a verse for you to use with yourself. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I want to punch somebody, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. I want to shout inappropriate things like cookies at people. Not cookies, actually. Is, if you're ever mad, shout cookies. You won't be mad anymore. You'll be hungry, but you won't be mad anymore. It's really hard to be mad and shout cookies. I learned that in L.A. traffic. Uh, <laughs> it's for yourself, though. There are very few scriptures that I am supposed to beat somebody else over the head with. In fact, pretty much all of them I'm supposed to beat myself over the head with. Now, there are many that I'm supposed to share with somebody. Have you heard this amazing stuff? But I think we know the difference between those two. So, spouses, those ones in Ephesians 5, where it talks about how a wife is supposed to be and a husband's supposed to be, that means the wives are supposed to look at that about the wives' part. And the husbands are supposed to look about the husband part. Parents, talk to my wife about her testimony. It's great. It's the only verse in the Bible my dad's ever publicly said nobody came to Christ through it, and he was wrong. She was in the audience, went up to him and said, yeah, yeah actually, I did. Because I'd only heard the part about kids obeying your parents, and I hadn't heard there was a part for parents. Parents, you pay attention to the parent one. Kids, your parents shouldn't have to tell you to pay attention to the kids one. There's a place for them. They need to instruct you. But it's for me to discipline myself, for me to pay attention to. Interestingly, it's not no speaking, but it's slow to speak. We get that wrong, too. There are many times that we need to speak up but they should be reasoned and well thought through moments. Not impulsive reactions that we'll regret or have to take back. Proverbs for that, in Proverbs 17, there's actually three of them, all great. 17 verse 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Think it through. What's the cost of whatever you're going to start? If it's a good one, go ahead. If it's a bad one, 
Go find some duct tape. Just keep it in. There's times to deal with hard stuff. I don't mean it's not a hard one. I mean, but a good or a bad cost. That's 14 verse 27. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. And a man of understanding is even tempered. Those of you who are quick-witted by your own definition and you like to be there with the witty response or retort, you need to memorize that verse. We need to memorize that verse. It's often not as funny as we think. It just hurts. Man of knowledge uses words with restraint. And then if, no, if none of the rest of those matter, this one at least does. Verse 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. You might think they're shy, but you won't know how stupid they are until they open their mouth. It's a great verse. Again, not to hand off to somebody else to remind yourself of. If I don't know and I'm quiet, they might think I'm really smart. Now, there are times when silence is the opposite. It communicates something totally different. Guys, your wife says, I love you, and you sit there silently. That's a bad plan. So there are times you need to speak. But there are so many other times, more times, we need to remain quiet. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Many many of us really struggle with this. Our culture struggles with this. Like I said, seven billion of us running around. A quote from the com- my favorite commentary series, this one is on James by Kurt Richardson. It's quote, anger may not f- be fully controllable, but it can be checked by avoiding impetuous speech. End quote. Don't just respond. Slow to get angry. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Mention our culture. Think about politics for a minute. I know you don't want to. We're all already worn out by that. Why is everybody so angry? And worse, why do Christians think it's becoming to be just as angry? If we're to be known by our love, how does our angry talk about politics accomplish that? Again, that doesn't mean you can't disagree with somebody doesn't mean you can't make a point. But the words we use and when we use them and how we use them matter greatly. And you'll hear people who claim to be Christians respond just as harshly. We need to be aware of that. We need to make sure we aren't doing that. Speaking of politics for a minute, before we think it's harder today than it has ever been, you forget the timing of the New Testament. These are things written to people who are living under Nero and the other 12, well, 11 kings of Sidonius's 12 Caesars. It was a horrible time. There are a lot of moments that we can tie in history, but we have a hard time surpassing them in the wretchedness. This, Rome was one of them. There were many great things about it, and there were many horrible things about it, and the Caesars were almost all among the horrible things about it. They were awful, awful people. And the more you study them, the more you want to just throw away what you're reading. It's offensive and grotesque. They were wretched men with total power. Virtually none of them had any redeeming qualities that are recorded throughout history. Those are their political leaders. 
Ours in the United States at least have some checks and balances that hold them back. I don't mean they're all great. But we tend to get this ego historically that we are living in the hardest of times for Christians. It simply isn't. It might be tied in certain places and certain moments. Related proverb back to Proverbs 17. Verse 1. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better sometimes that we aren't angry. That said again, interestingly, it's not no anger. It's slow to anger. There are things to get angry about, but verse 20 holds that back a little. Let me read verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. My default anger is not godly, even after having been redeemed. There is a thing known as righteous anger, and most of the time you're convinced you're righteously angry, you probably still aren't. The interesting thing with righteous anger, though, is one, it still runs to God and says, God, you are the God of justice, you'll resolve this. But two, it's about how others are mistreated. It's about injustices. Not me, because I'm quick to give up of myself if I'm godly. But when I see somebody else who's defenseless, and I use this illustration with the youth every once in a while, if, if my boys ever get in trouble for going to the defense of the kid in the wheelchair who's getting beat up, the school can have a zero po- tolerance policy. I'm taking them to Disneyland. If they go and rescue somebody who's totally helpless, no matter what society wrongly says needs to be the cost for that, I will celebrate it. If it really was righteous anger. If they're looking at this person who is wronged beyond belief and they're defending them, I will stand with my kids. If they're just going to the defense of their idiot friend, that's a little different. If their friend started it and is mouthing off and they get this gang mentality, i got to back up my friend, we're going to talk about friends and how to appropriately respond. But if they see somebody who's helpless and needs defense and they go to rescue, even if they handle it poorly, that's something I want to honor. And here it's saying, hey, we handle it poorly, even the, the important moments all the time. Hand that off to God. He writes injustices, and he does it perfectly. He does it perfectly. It's interesting in verse 18 and 21, there's also a tying in of God's word. It's by God's word that we're saved in 21. It's by God's righteous pronouncement, his word that justice reigns. And thrown in the middle is we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And basically, it's probably something like, can you trust in God? Or do you have to be quick with the answer? Do you have to jump in there? I'd encourage you also later on, read James 3. It's a great passage on the mouth. Some ways this might work out in some areas of life. I already mentioned marriage a couple times, but if you are really struggling with communication of marriage, there's this great thing. I don't know where you find it, but I can connect it with somebody who do, connect you with somebody who does. It's called the, well, I don't know what it's called. I call it the fighting rug. <laughs> uh, and I, I pict- you might be picturing wrongly like a boxing ring on a match or an uh, MMA octagon. It's not that at all. It's, posi- it's really cheesy. It's lame. Um, it's embarrassing. But hey, if this is what you need, Go for it. It gives you positions to sit in so that you can work through a conversation where you're actually paying attention. 
You don't want to find a rug? Great. Get four chairs. One chair is the talking chair. It's the only person that can talk. Opposite is the listening chair. You just have to sit there and listen. You can go, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to stay actively listening, though. And then the two chairs in the middle, you move to your left. One of them is the confirming chair. I will confirm that I, or affirm, you can call them either one, that I heard what you said. That's the only thing I'm allowed to say. I can't respond yet. When I'm sitting in that chair, my response only is trying to paraphrase what you told me. And then you confirm or affirm that, yes, that's correct. And if you say no, then that person goes back to the talking chair, the person who was originally listening, goes back to the listening chair. You got it right, now it's your turn to talk. Now, if you can do this without chairs and rugs, great. But if you're really struggling in communication in your marriage, get the chairs, I can walk you through it. It's simpler than it sounds, easier to do in person. Before you think a couple things, number one, it's too embarrassing. Well, don't tell anybody you're doing this. (laughs) Of course that's embarrassing. Your in-laws don't need to know that you use the chairs at your table to help you through fights. Disagreement. I don't mean fighting, fighting, but disagreements. In fact, your in-laws probably don't need to know a lot of things that they sometimes get told. They need to know if you're in trouble. They need to know if you're sleeping in your car and that you need a place to live for the night. They need to know all the good things that are going on, and they probably don't need to know much else. Especially the in-laws that just meddle. You don't have to tell them you work through this. Guys, one, you don't have to tell your friends. But two, if they find out, as guys tend to do, they're going to tease you like crazy. Uh, carefully, being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow, get ang- slow to get angry. Talk some trash back to them. Tell them something like your bride would want to hear of, you know what, I made some vows to be better or worse and all these other things and sitting in some chairs to talk through an argument definitely doesn't fall under the worst category I want my wife to feel treasured right now all the guys are thinking that's the worst smack talk I've ever heard okay you know your friends number one number two I don't want to get in trouble right now so just interpret that how you need to honor God with how you're saying it guys who are friends can take a little bit of ribbing from each other the other thing is this though if they're good friends who have good marriages I don't know any good friends with good marriages that ever make fun of somebody else for working on their marriage a little teasing yeah I mean I'd tease you if you were using chairs too but I'd also congratulate you for looking at it and saying, I need to use some physical reminders to talk, listen, and affirm. Use them if you need to. Please, use them if you need to. Isn't it less embarrassing and less troubling than whatever issues arise when people go through divorce? And didn't you make those vows at one point? I need to wrap this up. I'm sorry. I'm going a little long. Ladies, by the way, uh, or guys, whoever doesn't like football, t- this afternoon is not the best time to work on the chair thing in the middle of the football game. It's not going to go well. Guys, there are games all day today. Ladies who like football, there are games all day today. There's a lousy one on. The Raiders are playing or something. Just kidding. Sorry, Raiders fans. There's a game you don't care as much about. Try it during that one and, and reserve your free time for the other one. I don't know. Parenting. You can try the chairs things with teenagers. I don't know a single teenager that's going to be able to do that or want to do that. I, I don't suggest it, but if you can do that with teens, great. Like I mentioned before, how about parents? We just listen to them. Correct them where you need to, but start with listening. So often, I at least am not listening to my kids. 
And if I make that change, the conversation transitions greatly. And they're learning from me then how to listen. Online and texting, we're connected world. A couple questions for you. Should you be writing that on their wall and not sending a personal message? The wall is a bad place to fight in Facebook. Those of you who don't have Facebook, you don't know what I'm talking about. Should this take place in person rather than online or by phone? Most fights should. Most discussions and disagreements. Did they even intend it as an offense? Maybe they meant to encourage you and you got mad. How silly is that? And how often does that happen? I'm sure you've seen it with your friends. You've never done that, but I'm sure you've seen it with your friends. Or is there some sarcasm that I'm missing? Should you and can you clarify what they mean before you get offended? And then the best way, just assume it's not an offense. Even if they meant it to be offended, take it as a compliment. <laughs> walk around. It's a great way to walk around life, never having been offended because nobody said anything mean to you. It's not reality, but, you know, at some point, who cares? You walk around, not be hurt. They come in, they're angry. You're like, hey, nice to see you again. They can't figure out what's going on, and they can't get past that, so they don't offend you anymore either. I mean, don't be crazy and not paying attention to people's moods, but don't, don't be that easily offended. At church, mash this together with Matthew 18, where it tells us when we're fighting to go one-on-one and be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And when that doesn't work, we take a neutral, that's important, friend or respected leader to help referee a little bit. And we're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And if that doesn't work, we take it one more step. And we're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow get a- to get angry. And to be honest, if nothing's been resolved after that, go to 1 Corinthians 6, 7, which tells you this. Shouldn't you be, be more okay with taking a loss than fighting? If you can't resolve it after going through one-on-one step, getting in and respect a neutral person, getting in some leaders, and nothing's resolved, and it's not an issue that needs to go to the church, how about you just let it go? You've wronged me. It'll be made right in heaven. Let's move on. Whether it's money, stuff, or disagreements. Above all, stop the debate. You're not in one. Tell this with our, our premarital counseling. It's about your relationship winning, not about you winning an argument. If you won an argument, you already lost. But if your relationship wins, you can lose the argument and you've still won. And we all like to win. Every single one of you who's married, every single one of you has kids, every single one of you who's in a relationship, at some point needs to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry that we would honor God with our mouths. Let's pray. Lord, as James 3 says, this is such a tough thing. We can control ships and the biggest of creatures. We can't just keep our mouth closed. Help us to trust you in this, Lord, as you work on us, as you disciple us with somebody in a few minutes making an offensive comment that maybe they didn't even intend. Help us to show them grace with our ears first and also with our mouths. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.